are kidding me. You are kidding me. No, no way. You cannot do that, Ben Stokes. Carlos Brathwaite! Carlos Brathwaite! Remember the name! Hello and welcome to the first episode of the By the Barest of Margins podcast. Uh, we've named this after Ian Smith and the most iconic lines of commentary at the World Cup final last year. Uh, so considering that we had that excitement last summer in England, we're going to start off with our first episode talking about the English Test Summer and and how England have just beaten West Indies uh, in the second test at Old Trafford. Um, I'll introduce you to my guests first off. Um, I have... Rahul Vishwanathan. Uh, hello, Rahul. Hi. Uh-oh. Um, I have Karthikeya Manchala, who, whose heart rate, I don't know if it's come back to normal after watching the West Indies try to slog it out on day five. Has it? Yeah. I'm fine now. How are you guys doing? <laughs> uh, right. And I have Prashant Satish as well, who, uh, who has been one of the driving forces behind this podcast by pestering myself and my co-host uh, Sanket Singhbal, who will who you will hear in future episodes as well, uh, to start this off. So welcome to you as well, Prashant. Hi, hi. Glad we are finally starting. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, so I'll start off with Rahul about the most obvious thing that you talk about after that test match. Um, just how good is Ben Stokes? Just take it away, Rahul. Uh, to put in words, Ben Stokes has been, you know, absolutely brilliant in the last couple of years. You see, uh, the way he's, he has been the crisis man for England with the drop-in form of Joe Root, the way uh, and every time he walks into bat at around 50 for 3, 60 for 3, he has been absolutely putting a show. He, he takes the team out of, you know, out of the crisis situation. And we saw how versatile he is. You know, he came out to bat, opening the bat, opening the innings. And even with the Duke's ball, when... The new Duke's ball. Everyone was struggling. He just got off to a brilliant start and then just carry forward and did it. So he's showing he's really up, versatile and up, and he's the best all-rounder at the moment. Right. Uh, so I Rahul talked about Joe Root's dip in form. Prashant, uh, when do you think England will be ready to have a conversation about their captain? Look, he's still he's still uh, a lot better than a lot of the other. Uh, top order batsman in this era, which is unquestionably one of the toughest eras for batting. But uh, when do you think England becomes seriously concerned about Joe Root's lack of runs? Uh, it's been on for some time now. Uh, Joe Root's uh, lack of form with the bat, and but then it's uh, his captaincy is much more needed for England at this stage, I think, because if you see how he used Stokes as well in this Test match, everyone had the feeling that Stokes underbowled himself as a captain in the first game. And in this game, how he used Stokes, he knows how to get the best out of Stokes, the player now. That is very important as well. He's been doing a fine job as captain. I know he's not been converting starts. That's been his biggest facet. Whether England are ready to talk about it right now, I'm not very sure. And how far away is that conversation is really debatable. I'm not very sure about it, to be honest. All right. But he is the best option. Okay, so uh, I think we have a consensus here that it's not yet time, but uh, moving on from one captain to another, Karthikeya, uh, talk to me about this tendency that Jason Holder has uh, to win tosses and bowl first, because 
he did that in the two games against India in the Caribbean last summer, uh, and he's done that again. And um, once England got away to 400 in the first thing, it was always going to be catch up. So, uh, first of all, did you think it was the right call at the toss? See, I have a lot to say about Jason Holder, the captain. He's been the driving force since he was appointed in 2015, right? Yeah, for sure. But then this is not an isolated incident where he's bowling first. He's been doing that for the last three years and with very limited success. If you actually look at a test record for the last three years, it's pretty bad. And I don't think it was the right, it was the right decision to bowl first. In hindsight, you could say the chances of drawing were still pretty high even after he bowled first and he batted badly. But the point was the conditions got tougher and tougher as the day went. But I think it comes down to this theory of play to your strengths because we all know that the West Indies play squatted is one of the best in the world, not not just amongst the two, amongst the two teams. So... I think they wanted to put in the bowlers first and try to make the most of the conditions, try to get ahead in the game. And also, what worked well last game, we won the, we won the match batting, first, bat, bat, uh, batting second last game. And then, even our test wins in the last few years, if you look at the series in England last year, both our wins came bowling, sec, uh, bowling first. And then, I think if you look at the Bangladesh series, and even heading to 2017, we bowl first. So I think that's playing on Holder's mind and it's probably clouding his judgment. But also, I, I don't think we should pigeonhole all this on Holder. I know he's been doing this under different managements. But I think this was an obvious decision to bat first. And you would expect Phil Simmons and the rest of the management to have pulled in and got him to make the right decision. But yes, it was a blunder. and It's something Holder needs to reconsider going into the future because... The toss is such a crucial factor in the game, and we can't be losing the game before we even start playing. Uh, okay, I'll stick with you on this. And uh, do you think that leaving aside past results and how West Indies have, in fact, been successful with their pace bowling quartet, do you think some of the decision making of bowling first uh, on such conditions is down to the fact that he might not have confidence in what is at best a very fragile top order? Uh, look, Craig Brathwaite is just coming back into some run-scoring form, but a top three of Brathwaite, Campbell and Hope. Uh, do you think Holder's lack of confidence in those guys to manage a Stuart Broad, uh, Sam Curran, who, who can get the most of swinging conditions, do you think that plays in his mind when he bats first, when he chooses to bowl first in these tosses? You're absolutely right, because like I said, it's this idea of playing to your strengths. And obviously, Holder doesn't want to fall behind in the game if there's that usual top order collapse and that's obviously going to not it's not going to set the right tone so that's definitely playing on his mind but at some point we have to see that the batting lineup has improved in the last three years or so and we'll have to start giving them confidence to go out there and bat first because you look you look at look at it the other way there's always scoreboard pressure when uh when you're bowling when you're bowling uh, what am i saying bowling first right so I think even in the first game, we bowled them out for like, what, 200. And yeah. there was very little scoreboard pressure. So we actually ended up making 300. And then when we were under pressure in the fourth innings, we had that top order collapse. And even here, when we had to bat out two days, we had two collapses. 
So you can look at it both ways and argue. But I think our batting, batting lineup has come a long way in the last three years. Even if you look at some of the series in India, last, the series he played against India last year, and then also the tour to India against Bangladesh, we just collapsed in heaps. But here we're seeing some players are chipping in with 50s. We saw Shamar Brooks make a couple of 50s. We saw Craig Brathwaite with a couple of 50s. So I think our batting is improving in stages, and we just have to be patient and give them more confidence. All right. Uh, about the West Indies batting, we'll come back to that once I get Prashant and Rahul in on the England batting. Uh, Rahul, I know for a fact that you are a massive fan of Oli Pope. Um, and look, uh, these are circumstances that uh, don't come along very often, you know, where he's not played any, any kind of cricket for such a long time and then uh, thrown into a test against a very, very good bowling attack. But uh, he's not scored runs. And do you think that's a concern yet? Or will you give him the entire summer uh, and see where he stands after the end of the Pakistan series? If you look at the last series before this, they played in South Africa. And uh, Oli Pope was just outstanding there. He scored a, I think, brilliant 100 there. Uh, the issue with him is uh, he's batting at number six, which is a very volatile position where oftentimes you can come at 300 for two, 300 for three, oh yeah, 300 for four, or else you can be batting at, say, 60 for four. That's a really tricky position to bat. And and with England's batting lineup, very volatile. You know, sometimes we saw in the first test as well, you know, a couple of wickets and he was really under pressure. So I think with time and if he gets more experience, he'll be able to, uh, you know, take the situation more more better and he'll start scoring runs. I'll definitely give him the next Pakistan series as well. Right. Uh, all right. Uh, makes sense. Uh, but uh, if there is one part of the England batting lineup that uh, they seem to have figured out for now, it is that Dom Sibley seems to be a long-term opener for them. Um, you know, it was, a, it was a really, really good 100 that he scored in the first innings. Um, but... Uh, Prashant, beyond that 100, uh, we on our group had a lot of debate about the way Sibley approached his innings, especially after he got to 100 and uh, the way that Ben Stokes was playing at the other end. Sibley wasn't rotating strike. He's still playing the typical grinding innings that an opener does. Um, so uh, do you think uh, that Sibley was right, especially with the forecast that was there for you know, the entire day's play to be washed out. Do you think he could have gone a bit harder? I mean, in hindsight, you you, you will say that it all worked out in the end because England won the game. But uh, if you look at it in isolation, how would you rate that Sibley innings? Obviously, great at the start, but towards the end, what what, what are your thoughts on that? Okay, that's uh, that sort of an innings, obviously, does raise eyebrows. And we had contrasting opinions on the group as well. And I think... Uh, uh, Sibley did a very fine job. To start off, he did extremely well. He he batted out the new ball and, and West Indies is a quality bowling attack. It's not so easy to do that against the batting attack and he showed a lot of grit and character. After the 100, to be honest, I, I don't think he lacked intent. He actually tried. Against spinners, you could genuinely see he was trying. He was struggling. He has a lack of technique to rotate Rotate strike against Spinner. I think if he can sort that out, he can open up a lot of run scoring opportunities. And whether it's right in hindsight, if you see, 
if england hadn't bowled out west indies there'd been a lot of questions on joe root's captaincy uh, because of the time of declaration of the innings and a lot of questions and eyebrows would have been raised at him but at the end it all worked eventually and you can't play for the weather at the end of the day because that is asking too much yeah you can't think that it's going to rain you can't live based on a probability so do what's right all right uh moving from one opener to to the openers on the other side kartikeya uh, contrasting fortunes for john campbell and craig brathwaite uh, i mean we've all we've all been on for unanimous opinion that despite what brathwaite's not done in the last two years which is he's not managed to score a lot of runs uh, we've all been on the consensus that he is a class player and will come good eventually uh, so have you seen anything visible that has changed in brathwaite and follow that up with uh, the two around him john campbell and shay hope and what's gone wrong with them so like you said you're right craig brathwaite has struggled for the last two years i think in 2018 when he played bangladesh since then he's averaged i think 20 or something or maybe even lesser and the 50 that he made in the first innings of the first test was his first in almost two whole years or something i'm not sure exactly but he's been in the middle of a very bad slump and in any other team he'd be dropped by now but they're persistent with him and i think he spoke to desmond haynes before the start of the series and whatever conversation he's had that's definitely helped him because he's back to his old ways now his old clunky ways he's leaving the ball well outside off his judgment is good and i think he's not worried about getting the runs he wants to be out there play as many balls as possible and shield the fragile 3 3 and 4 that we have in our batting lineup and john campbell well there were calls for him not to start the series because everyone knows that john campbell has a very loose technique and you don't want to lose technique coming into england when the ball is swinging and seeming we expected him to fail but then there are a few points behind john campbell starting firstly there are no reserve openers in the caribbean there are not many going around so before we cycle through from one to another we need to actually be sure this guy won't come back in the test team later because we don't want to keep cycling through different options and making it unstable and secondly uh our reserve openers are who mosley and de silva campbell averages 30 in domestic cricket and shane mosley averages 31 so why do you want to pick a new opener when the records in first class cricket are almost the same now i'm not saying not going to have a better career than campbell but when these are the stats it's pretty damning and you'd want to start with campbell in that case so yeah it's the it's been contrasting fortunes and i'm sure phil simmons is not happy with campbell's approach because it's not just his technique but it's also the mental aspect of it when we were clear that west indies are going to play for a draw in the second test why is campbell playing a ball on the 6 or 7 stump line that makes no sense so i think that again comes down to his lack of trust in his technique which is also affecting the mental aspect of his game so i'm not sure campbell is going to get another test leave alone a series 
Okay, uh, and then we come into the elephant in the room as far as the West Indies batting lineup is concerned. You know, uh, a lot of conversations have revolved around how Shea Hope is the best batsman that the West Indies have. Uh, that might be true in limited overs cricket. We're not going to um, we're not going to talk about limited overs cricket. But as far as tests are concerned, since Headingley 2017, Crick uh, posted a stat at the start of the series that he averaged four against good length balls. Uh, now, any test batsman cannot be averaging that, let alone a number three batsman coming into a tour of England. Uh, so, now for someone who did that at Headingley in 2017. Uh, to the fall that he's had since then, uh, what's gone wrong? Do you think that it's been uh, that the heading leave knock was an anomaly in what and what has been followed that is what Shea Hope actually is as a test cricketer? Or do you think that something is seriously gone wrong post heading leave? Because, because heading leave was, were, it was not easy conditions and he got hundreds in both innings. Yeah, you're right. So, you say Shai Hope is the elephant in the room, but I don't think so. He Or maybe he is and he shouldn't be because the media has been talking him up a lot. They've been saying he's a batsman, the best, best technique, he's the best batsman in the Caribbean, etc. But the fact is, he hasn't made a 50 for so long. And he's been uh, he's made less run, lesser runs than Kima Roach for the last one year or so. So <laughs> why should he be the elephant in the room? I'm not sure. But let me break it down. So, I think deep inside Shai Hope, deep inside Shai Hope, they're still a very good player. So, I think something has gone wrong post-Headingley because, yes, Headingley was not an anomaly. He's a good player and he made good runs there. I think pre-Headingley, he made a few runs. He made another 50 in that series in England. And then I think they toured Zimbabwe where he made, made a few runs as well. I think 2017 was a pretty decent year for him. And then he went to New Zealand. And, and I don't know if it was overconfidence or what, but he was starting to play with very hard hands. So he started nick behind and to his hips. And that shouldn't ideally be a problem because a good batsman would overcome it. But then after that, he went to Bangladesh and a different aspect of his game came into question because he was getting out to left arm spin again because of hard hands. He was nicking the ball behind or to slip and that was not the end of it because there was a home series against Sri Lanka where Lahiru Kumara of all people I don't think Lahiru Kumara plays for the Sri Lankan test team now but he tormented hope in that series and it was not the good length ball it was a short ball now I still maintain that Shai Hope is not very bad against it's the fact that he was tormented by the short ball in that series and then Again, in 2019, if you go back and look at the St. Lucia test, Mark Hood had, uh, when Mark Hood was in the middle of a fiery spell, he looked completely out of sorts. I don't think Shai Hope has any scoring options against the short ball. He usually just fends it off and he gets out of it. So that's all, always playing on his mind. So he's always deep back in his crease. And that's not good against a good length ball, when, especially when you're going to get movement from there. So, so, he's edging the ball behind. And also, if you saw me saw my post days ago, I saw that Shai Hope was changing his stance every innings. So, because he saw that he was driving with hard hands, he tried to cover his stumps and stop playing the drive. But then in the second test, 
he moved back to that open stance and guess what he got out to an off cut to Sam Curran driving behind so i think shai hope has lost his game there's so many technical issues right now there's so many mental issues i just don't think his game in the game is in the right place so i think if he wants to rediscover that good player that's inside him he's going to go back to domestic cricket for barbados and make the runs like jimin blackwood did when he was dropped he took it i think blackwood took that uh took his drop pretty well and went by averaged what 15 in this year's domestic season so hope's got to go back maybe try getting a county stint in between i don't know what he's going to do but he's got to find that game back and finally the last thing about hope in uh in the 2019-20 domestic season i think after the tour to afghanistan or something earlier this year or last year everyone in the barbados team went back and played domestic cricket jason holder went back raymond reefer went back craig brathwaite went back shamar brooks went back everyone except shai hope so that was pretty shocking to me because he hasn't been making test test runs he has to go back to barbados and get back that confidence but it concerns me that there's no domestic cricket in the caribbean at least first class cricket due to the pandemic situation so i'm not sure what he's going to do but he's got to find ways to get some red ball cricket under his belt he gets picked for the test team whoever whoever knows when all right uh, so that was a rather long dissection of shay hope's problems and um, the fact that you know uh, there is a good player residing inside of him because if he's not a good player he wouldn't score the amount of runs that he does in other formats of the game uh, but that is a debate for another day altogether uh, moving back to england and to you rahul um, obviously they were dealt a blow at the start of the second test with jofra archer uh being pulled up for breaking protocols uh now we know for a fact that jofra will come back uh for the third test so uh what do you think is the ideal combination for the england bowling attack at when the third test starts on friday uh you think that stuart broad will stay um jofra comes back maybe jimmy anderson comes back so uh what are you thinking who stays who goes i uh I feel England should pretty much play Anderson, Broad, and Archer. You know, Anderson and Arch- Anderson and Broad are the two best swing bowlers in England, or maybe in the world. And pretty much, Jofra Archer is England's best bowler who has who has the pace, who can bowl with you know, who can bowl 145 plus consistently. So these three bowlers are pretty much pretty much a no-brainer for me. And then I would like to have Jack Leach back. precisely because england have so west indies have about 10 right handers and with now john cabaluma was likely to get uh, axed it's a no brainer that jack leach has to play i would like uh, maybe england might try with four seamers as well but then that's too risky to get a test which has two back to back tests in the same venue so i'll probably go with jack leach and the three quicks uh, anderson broad and archer all right uh, so uh, rahul just mentioned the fact that you know he wants jack leach to play ahead of dombes uh, i'm coming to you prashant uh, you know uh, before that delivery that best bowl to uh, jason holder at towards the end of the last day's play uh, on a fifth day wicket which was offering a bit of turn there were all the footmarks that were created you still not exactly uh, you know uh, 
the most threatening of spells from Bess, you know. Uh, even Root was more inclined to throwing the ball to Stokes and Curran and Broad, who were, who were creating problems of their own. But on a wicket like that, you'd expect your spinner to create more problems than Dom Bess did. Um, so, do you think, uh, you know, for for the long term, let alone this next test against West Indies and uh, the three against Pakistan, because these selections might be based on horses for courses. But uh, for the long term, have you been encouraged by what you see of Dom Bess in these two tests in South Africa, where he picked up a fifer as well? Uh, do you think that Dom Bess long term can be a lone spinner for England if they have to pick only one spinner in the lineup? Yeah, I don't think so. Actually, I'll start with saying I'm not impressed by Best, and at least what I saw in these two test matches for sure, because Roston Chase has outbowled him clearly in the series so far. Roston Chase on day one wicket did that. Imagine what Josh Roston Chase, a second choice spinner for West Indies, he's not playing as the first choice spinner. He's a part-time spinner for them, and what he has done and England's first choice spinner has done on more ideal conditions, like as you mentioned, he got a chance to bowl on the day five wicket, which he should have. Wreaked havoc, and except for the last session, I don't think he got enough turn as well. Uh, he's been getting drift. That's what uh, that's what has been driving him so far. He's been getting a lot of drift, and there were very few unplayable deliveries from Dombus. Uh, and if you want to keep looking at what we saw only from the last session, maybe I think they will go with Bess again, which I'm not sure is the right idea. Would like to say see Leeds come in because of exactly the reason as what Rahul said because of the left hand uh, number of right handers West Indies have in their lineup and uh, to be outballed by Roston Chase uh, in both the games is pretty concerning if you're Dombes and you're England. All right, uh, right. I'll go back to you, Rahul, and uh, I'll pick up on a point that Prashant mentioned. Uh, why do England give so many wickets to Roston Chase? Because uh, Yes, he bowled well, uh, but like the 8-for at Barbados, I think it was last year, um, it was hardly a 5-for spell, you know. There were a lot of wickets that were uh, result of bad shots, you know. Uh, I don't think Rory Burns uh, really has gotten a hang of how to how how best to play off spin. Uh, so, what is England's issue against Roston Chase? Because it doesn't seem like an issue that goes to... All off spinners. They played Nathan Lyon well enough in the Ashes last year. Yeah, uh, it's pretty strange because English players are really good uh, players against spin. Like you see Root, Butler, Stokes. Stokes, not maybe, but Root, Pope and uh, Butler are very good players against spin. It is surely, I think, they're not they're not either respecting Roston and Chase much and they're taking him too lightly. And I would not like to see that. They should all... They're either trying to attack him very well or they're just playing him uh, very defensively. So I would like to see him show more intent with... Uh, I'd like to see him show more intent and not disrespect him too much. All right. Uh, makes sense. Uh, so I'll go back to the West Indies and you know, uh, Karthike, you spoke about there not being enough openers uh, even in the domestic circuit in the West Indies. So if you're looking at dropping a John Campbell, you know, Shane Mosley is there, but he doesn't average too much better than him. Uh, Joshua Da Silva got 100, but he's not exactly, uh, you know, set the stage on fire in domestic cricket either. Uh, so uh, just, just throw light on 
know the the current state of the domestic game in West Indies because uh, as a test side they've definitely improved over the last couple of years or or uh, even a bit more than that. Uh, but you know that has been largely based on the fact that they managed to put together a bowling attack, a fast bowling attack that is one of the best in Test cricket. So uh, with the structure that there is. Uh, where do you see the the batting side of things especially moving? Right. So, I don't think you should write out Shane Mosley as of yet. I think hearing from people from Barbados, he has the technique to be a test opener. He's also a left-hander, which helps. So, I don't think we should write him out yet. But the fact is, he averages 31 and he'll have to make the step up from first class. And we've been very guilty of that for the last few years. If you see Shimron Hetfire and Alzari Joseph, who were the stars of the 2016, uh, 2016 Under-19 World Cup, which we won, they were immediately fast-tracked into the test team in 2017 against Pakistan and the UAE. Very few teams win against Pakistan and the UAE. And you're taking Hetmeyer and Alzari Joseph, who are just turning 20 on such a big tour. No other test team does. No other test team does that. So I think that's again because of the lack of alternatives that we see the need to fast-track talent. But it clearly doesn't help because when batsmen are so young and they get found out, they don't have the coaching network. They don't have the opportunities in first-class cricket to go back and mature as a cricketer. So I think it clearly hurts them at such a young age. And that's why I don't think Joshua De Silva has to be fast track in the test team yet because he hasn't played as much A-team cricket and he's only played one full domestic season in the Caribbean. So if he gets found out, that's not going to be good for his game. I think it's too huge a risk. And I think a contrasting example would be Shamar Brooks. Shamar Brooks is 31. He's one of those late bloomers, if you want to say. And there's been a lot of hype about Shamar Brooks for the last eight years, actually. And he's almost been on the sidelines every time. And I think that's helped him in a way. Because he's got a lot of A-team opportunities. He's captained the West Indies A-team. He's captained Barbados. And it's clearly showing in his game right now. Because I think he was by far the most impressive batsman in the two tests combined. He looked very assured against both pace and spin. So I think that shows what we can get out of letting batsmen mature in domestic cricket, in A-team cricket, before getting into the test team. So, I think this fast-tracking uh, strategy that we've been employing in the last few years, that has to be put put aside. If that means our batting is going to be a little more fragile for the next two years, that's fine if that's going to give us some long-term improvement. Now, the second thing that I want to touch upon is uh, the lack of senior players in the current team. Craig Brathwaite is the batsman who averages the highest for us. He averages, I think, 37 or 38 in test cricket. Why does he average 37 or 38, unlike the others? Because he made his debut when Shivnar and Chandapal and Chris Gale were still in the team. And opening with Chris Gale, who has played test cricket for the last 12 years or something before Brathwaite made his debut, obviously helps because there's that exchange of knowledge that goes on. Whereas the current crop of batsmen have no senior player to help them out. No senior player to marshal them through. So that's obviously going to hurt them. I think we were supposed to save the test in the 
on the final day and shamar brooks hit what two sixes of down bends why do you need to hit sixes when you're trying to play for a draw right and i think the second six he tried to hit he was almost caught on the boundary by chris works but imagine jamin blackwood going up to shamar brooks and telling him to calm down because jamin blackwood is guilty of the same thing so these batsmen haven't got the, got enough experience or authority to tell the other guy what to do so they're all learning together and there obviously doesn't have so at for this crop of batsmen that's definitely the issue i think gail and chandpaul being axed from the test team before they should have is obviously has obviously has having ripple effects even now and yeah the pace reserves i think they're very strong as you said i think besides alzari joseph uh there are also other young bowlers coming to the ranks if you saw the under 19 world cup uh, earlier this year you saw jaden seals who was i think very impressive but besides him we've also got shamar holder raymond reefer this keon harding on the sidelines this anderson phillips so i think the i think that again comes down to the pitches in the caribbean in the domestic circuit it's moved from being extremely spin friendly to somewhat pace friendly so i think the better seamers are coming through the ranks so that definitely helps going forward all right uh, i'll stick with you uh, for my next question which is um, no there have been changes in the last couple of years so what what more would you like to see under phil simmons and uh, for the 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 foreseeable future of west indies cricket because obviously he has brought in some positive changes you know uh, the the approach that shamar brooks showed uh, apart from a couple of lapses he looks really solid um, there's there's the big question that i'm going to put to you uh, with regard to phil simmons uh, should he pick nicolas puran in the test side so <laughs> for some reason i've heard a lot of people saying nicolas puran should make his test test view based on his odi performances yeah. now i am against that because i think nicholas puran could be the greatest white ball batsman west indies have ever produced after sir wickets i think he can be as good as brian lara if not better because he's got so much potential now does that mean he's going to be a good test batsman we don't know because puran hasn't played first class cricket for the last 7 or 8 years and as we saw with Josh Butler who has yeah. struggled to make the transition from white ball cricket to red ball cricket there's no evidence that puran can be a good test batsman so i'll need puran to play one season of first class cricket and if he hits a couple of hundreds then okay i know that he can play in the test team and i'd bring him in but until that there's no evidence so we'll have to work that out i think phil simmons who's part of the selection panel and Roger Harper will have to sit down with him and chart out his progress in the future because if he wants to play in the test team he'll have to go through the same process in white ball cricket in red ball cricket in the domestic circuit now he, now i think one season is going to be enough you could argue that a lot of other batsmen are slogging it out in domestic cricket but under Ricky Skerritt who is now the West Indies cricket board president the selection criteria is open for everyone anyone can make it into the test team regardless of whether they play first class cricket or not so i think a few matches if he can prove himself 
he can be brought into the test team. But for now, we also have Darren Bravo and Shimron Hetmai on the sidelines, who haven't come on tour for personal reasons due to the pandemic. But I think Bravo and Hetmai are also left-handers. They're also good against spin. We know Bravo was probably West Indies' best test, test batsman before he had that feud with the selectors and was dropped. So if he can make a return to the test team, that would not only provide some solidity in the top, but also the fact that he's a senior player. He's played all around the world, and he definitely adds that value in terms of experience. And we all know Hetmeyer is a very good player of spin, so he clearly adds value in Asian conditions where I think last year, when last year or two years ago, when West Indies toured Bangladesh, some of the pitches turning big time. He showed very good intent in terms of playing spin. He was reading strike well. He was hitting over the top pretty well. So I think the focus now should be maturing Hetmeyer as a batsman and trying to reintegrate Bravo into the setup before we focus on Puran, who has to go through the process and come into the testing. Right. Um, so, Karthike touched upon Josh Butler and how um, he's struggled to make the switch, uh, you know, from white ball cricket where he's an absolute gun, probably the most valuable white ball player today, arguably. Uh, so, Rahul, uh, do you think it's time England stop with this Butler in test cricket thing? He's played 43 tests, um, not really done too much. Do you think it's time they stop and before it potentially affects his white ball game as well? Uh, it's an interesting debate. So, uh, batting in England is one of the hardest uh, thing for you know the current batsmen all over the world. Even the English batsmen are not able to score runs freely at a good average. Yep. Josh Butler's uh, strengths are against spin. So, he's going to be valuable in Asia for starter. But I don't see him making much impact in in England and the and the places where you no know, significant C movement is there. So I wouldn't want to risk a potential white ball goat for a test cricket, which is certainly not it's, it's not his strongest point. He, yep. in the last years he has been he has been quite mediocre. Apart from that, uh, in India tour, uh, which India's India when India came to England in two years back, where he was the highest run getter for England. Now the 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 effect of this is that he has not played a one day game for England post 2019 World Cup. He's absolutely at his peak and he's he has already missed one year of one day cricket for England. I would like to see him uh, play one day. I would like to I like him to see get back into white ball cricket and probably England also have a better wicket keeper in Ben Fox, who is you know is already waiting the wings. He, he had a very good tour to Sri Lanka and then he was dropped to accommodate both Besto and Butler. So I would like to him see get a chance and see where, where things go to. All right. Uh, Prashant, I'm going to put the same question to you. Uh, where do you stand on the Butler debate? Do you think that uh, he potentially can come good at some point? Because, you know, 43 tests is a longer rope than a lot of test cricketers get. And Butler still, the fact that after 43 tests, we're still debating whether Butler has a test career ahead of him, I think is a damning indictment of the way that he's gone about with his test cricket. So do you think you do you think you say enough's enough? Just concentrate on being 
absolutely gun as good as you are in white ball cricket or do you think there's still a chance that butler might come good in test yeah yeah all i like to say is uh, that because there's been a lot of talk that we have a we have a lot of expectations from people who excel in white ball to come good because of the way they perform in white ball there is this strange sense of notion that everyone who comes good in white ball should eventually when given a longer run should perform in red ball that is a thing that's been going on for some time even with rohit sharma people have been saying that he's excellent in the red ball game same in that way uh, but with josh butler he's extremely good in white ball he's not in a league he's in another league of his own at what he does he's one of the best in the world at the moment so what i'd like to say is keep aside josh for test matches at home because i think uh, it's time england give folks a go because he's not done much done uh, anything wrong yeah uh, he's done extremely well in opportunities got i think in the sri lanka series he averaged 69 but in conditions like sri lanka and asia i think in the middle order in if rory burns or sibley still open england would want a good player of spin in that middle order as well butler could be valuable in that state uh, but as the moment i think time's running for him and what you associate with butler is uh, many people say in situations like uh, this uh, like if you're six down and you want a late surge in the innings with batting with the tail they've been told that butler can counter and butler is destructive in that sort of a position but he's been given that chance he's been allowed to experiment allowed to be used in a position like that but he's not come good and he's been tried opening as well i'm not sure that's uh, that test would finish his career because i think they want a better picture but because on that innings which is open i think they'll give him another go all right uh okay so now that you talked about another goal let's let's talk about you know looking ahead to the third test match um you know it, it's been a series where you know back to back test matches it, it's hard on the fast bowlers uh kartikeya especially for the west indies because um they've not rotated their fast bowlers in the first two tests so uh what changes do you see uh, especially the pace bowling attack because you've already made it pretty clear that you know uh you'd like john campbell and shay hope to sit out but um, start off with the pace bowling attack what changes do you want to see shannon gabriel didn't look uh, you know like he was 100% fit in manchester uh, so do you think shamar holder comes in for gabriel so yeah so the rotation of same strategy England have done it with success, right? So they rotated the same as and they won the second test. But we obviously didn't have the luxury to do that. I know our pace bowling strengths are very, pace bowling reserves are very strong. But if you look at it, Shamar Holder hasn't made his test debut and Raymond Reefer has played only one or two tests. So it wasn't that easy for us to make those changes after winning a test and being ahead in a series after forever. So I think that's why we stuck to the same bowling combination. And also... I think Shannon Gabriel told the team management that he was fit but anyone who saw Shannon Gabriel bowl in that test knew he was very very stiff and sore so I don't care what Shannon Gabriel tells the management this time I leave him out because I wouldn't risk him not being fully fit and not bowling at full pace because I don't think his swing and seam bowling is good enough if he can't bowl at full pace so I definitely leave out Gabriel and If I leave out Gabriel, uh, Shamar Holder is definitely debuting because he is an ex-best team. 
And the second change I would make is definitely because this venue is being used for a second. We already saw the pitch was taking some turn. I think what Rostin Chase took five wickets and he is a part. So imagine Rakim Khan all played. He would have definitely taken, he would have definitely put on a better performance. So I don't know who they're going to drop for Rakim Khan, but I think he 100% has to come into the team and he will. So I think if you look at black and white changes, then you, I think Gabriel is definitely going out, Holder is coming in, and then Hope's definitely going out. And if Hope goes out, I think Nkrumah Bona can come in. He had an impressive season at Jamaica, so Nkrumah Bona could come in for Shai Hope. Or we could bring in Raymond Reefer as an all-rounder option, so he could bat under under Jason Holder. That would mean Dowrich at 6, Holder at 7, and Reefer at 8. I think that's going to be the template for the future anyway, so... There's a case of bringing in Reefer or Bonner, but that's up to the team management. And finally, Campbell. I think I would have seen, if if you left it up to me, I would have played Campbell for the final test because it doesn't matter. I think if you bring in Mosley, he comes in for just one test and we'll also be going into the reserve squad because Mosley is not in the actual squad, actual 15-man yeah. squad. So I would have just stuck with Campbell. But going by Phil Simmons' comments, I think they were very sharp. In his press conference, he said, if I think anyone is going to play for their position rather for the team, I want them thinking about that on the sidelines, not while playing. So I think those are very strong comments. And going by that, I think Mosley could come in for Campbell for the last test. All right. Um, Also, uh, just just, a small thing. Obviously, you you were confident that, um, you know, the template for the future would be Dowdich batting at six and Holder at seven. Uh, Jason, that is. But do you think they'll do that in the third test, especially with Dowrich coming off a pair? Dowrich is coming off a pair, but I don't think that's an issue. Some people have made Dowrich making a pair an issue, but he's actually been one yeah, of the of best course. batsmen for the last couple of years. So I think that's one of the least of our concerns right now. I think Dowrich is definitely capable of batting at six. I think Holder is definitely bat- capable of batting at seven. And I've also spoken a lot about Alzari Joseph's test batting potential. Yeah. I think Alzari Joseph hit a couple of 50s in the domestic season this year. He made an 89 as well. So I think his batting offers that cushion to move Dorich and Holder up in the future. Yeah. Whether they're going to do that for the next test, I don't know. I'd like to see it happen because going by Alzari's injury, Dreefer offers that extra seam bowling option. So, I think just keeping the fast bowlers fresh. Roach has had a very high workload as well. So, I wouldn't mind saying referring. If they're not confident about their batting lineup, they want to play the extra batsman in Nkrumah Bonner, I'd be fine with that as well. So, I'll be fine either way. I don't have any specific preference. It'd be nice to see refer, but I'm easy both ways. All right. Uh, so we've come nearly to the end of our first episode of the By the Barrister Margins podcast. Uh, I'd like to end by just final comments from each of the three of our guests today. Um, just basic predictions for the third test. I, I don't want you to, you know, tell me if you think England will win or West Indies will win in black and white. But uh, what do you think the basic template for each side should be to win the test? Uh, 
राहुल मोर ऑफ द सेम फॉर इंग्लैंड just bad the way they did with sibley trying to uh, bad the time out and stretch a big partnership with uh, other batters other other batters also should follow the same template and then i obviously expect with broad archer uh, broad archer and anderson to you know be at the top speed and get the job done right uh, prashant same question to you i'm, I'm going to put it to you as well yeah. uh uh but in a slightly different way um, what if the law of averages uh, catches up on this incredible incredible run of form that ben stokes is having uh, do england have an alternative to ben stokes the batsman not getting runs let's let's leave uh, leave aside his bowling if if stokes doesn't get runs where do england go from there i'm afraid not england are not ready for that sort of position i would say uh, because ben stokes has been doing the bulk of the scoring i think uh, since uh, 2019 he averages about 55 in test matches as a batsman and that is to add with his commendable effort with the ball as well uh, you might not see him being the wicket taker the leading wicket taker or averaging the best with the ball as well but then he does a lot of hard yards like he gets he wins you situations like he's been put into tough situations and he comes out victorious so if you see in the last test as well the plan he bowled to a plan he does what the team needs and i'm not sure england have an alternative for ben stokes failure they're not ready yet all right uh, final thoughts from you karthikeya uh, what do the west indies have to do uh, to potentially win a historic series in england So, firstly, for spoilers, the weather forecast isn't very good for the second <laughs> test. So, if it's a draw, then no, that's that's, that's the in the series. Yeah, so that's, that's for that's for later, I think. Yeah, that's default the in England. For, the weather concerns are default in England. <laughs> so yeah. So, for the temperate going forward, I think, like I said, the batting is improving in phases. So, obviously, the current phases we're getting in, we make a couple of batsmen are making fifties, but I think it's making the next step. It's about converting. we saw dom sibley convert his 15 to 100 we saw ben stokes make it a 176 so if brathwaite brooks or blackwood chase if these guys continue to get 50s then i'd like to see them kick on and make that 100 i think phil simmons has been calling for that as well so i'd want to see them concentrate even after making that 50 60 and make that 100 and finally i think rakim conwall he's one to watch like i said we saw the pitch turning in the last test so i think he'd clearly be a handful he's going to get bounce he's going to get overspin on the ball as well and if england are losing wickets to rossin chase then i think conwall is going to have a field day i think in afghanistan against afghanistan in india last year he took a 10 for so i don't know why he wasn't brought into the brought into the second test as well but now that he's going to get his opportunity in the third test he has a lot to prove and i think he's one to watch All right. So uh, on that note, Rakim Cornwall being the one to watch at the third test at Old Trafford, uh, we sign off from our first episode here at the By the Barrister Margins podcast. Uh, we will see you next week, hopefully after the end of the third test between England and West Indies. Uh, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure having you with us today, and we will hopefully see all of you with us for future episodes as well. Uh, until then uh, this is your host aditya narayan signing off thank you
You are kidding me. You are kidding me. No, no way. You cannot do that, Ben Stokes. Carlos Brathwaite! Carlos Brathwaite! Remember the name!